close the gates! Six of our northern cities have fallen in a coordinated attack. Their leader fights alongside a witch. Crush these murderers. Your Majesty. Every family must contribute one man to fight. You're a war hero. You've already made many great sacrifices. My father cannot fight. So I will take his place. The northern invaders will kill her. If I expose her, our own people will kill her. When we take the Imperial City, I will take revenge. For my father. What is your name, soldier? Hua Jun, Commander. Son of Hua Zhou. You will now take the oath of the warrior. Loyal. Brave. Hello and welcome to the Movie Robcast. I'm your host, Rob Wallace, and as always, it's an absolute delight to be joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it's nothing less than a delight to be here. And as always, when I'm recording from my flat, if you hear any kind of banging, that's just my neighbours moving around upstairs. But yes, always ace to be here. It seems that, weirdly enough, you've, you've ended up in the second film that we were going to talk about in, in a little bit. Um, but to start with, we're, of course, going to be uh, discussing the new Mulan, um, the 2020 live-action reimagining of, uh, sort of the Disney animated classic that was uh, released on Disney Plus uh, yesterday, that being uh, Friday the 4th of September. Of course, with a slight difference that it came with a uh, not inconsiderable price tag. Yeah, so is it £19.99 here or something like that? To have it on a long rental lease, so you have it for as long as you're a Disney Plus subscriber. But then also, I was looking at it yesterday on Disney Plus when I rented it, and it says, watch now ahead of it coming to Disney Plus subscription on the 4th of December. And it's like, oh, okay, so you're actually telling people this will be along in only three months. That's an interesting business model. So... Just a quick kind of reminder to our listeners that sometimes we really do pay through the nose to bring you this wonderful entertainment. Yes, it's interesting that it's like Disney, Disney, like, yeah, we're willing to kind of take it on the nose for Artemis Fowl. You know, we'll stick that one straight on Disney Plus for free. But Mulan, you guys have to pay a little bit extra for that, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it's practically the price of a 4K. I mean, obviously, I could watch it in 4K. Ha ha ha. But yes, it was. It's an in, it's an interesting. Well, I've got to get one in there. Well, before we get on to discuss the it's film, like, shall... it's, you know, da- Daddy needs that Peavold revenue. Yes, yeah. Well, I think that Daddy Disney has missed out on quite a lot of revenue this year, so I'm sure they're thinking anything we can get. It's um... but before Although, we dive in, as it sorry, turns out, oh, sorry, and I'll, I'll sort of mention this very very quickly uh, off the back of the previous podcast. Black Widow's out in October. And what dates it out? Like the 18th, I think. I'm saying that off the top of my head. So yeah, chance I will be seeing that in conjunction. Well, I will, I'll say this now, you know, the, the surprise reveal. We've both been approved for uh, accreditation for the London Film Festival. So what dates at the London Film Festival? I think it's, yes, it's the 7th through to the 18th. So Sunday the 18th. So on the final day of the London Film Festival, if I remember correctly... Black Widow release date. Oh, actually, it's the 30th October. I completely lied. We've got another 12 days after the end of the London Film Festival for we need to review Black Widow. So that'll be the one after the London Film Festival. Okay, fair enough. Shall I give the synopsis? Please do. 
Okay, this is the IMDB synopsis. I am actually going to add where it's set, though, and when it's set, sorry. So, a young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father in ancient China. So, yes, this is finally the live-action remake of Mulan, which many, many moons ago on our Onward podcast, we thought we would be doing next, and we also thought we'd be seeing it at the cinema, but of course, neither of those things happened. Yeah, it's this is a film, I mean, maybe out of all the Disney live-action, this is a Disney live-action remake that I think, unlike, for example, Lady and the Tramp, was geared towards a cinematic release. Yeah, well, it was, it was only intended for cinema, wasn't it? That's the thing, is that they spent $200 million on this film, and a lot of that money is on screen. And it is bizarre when you watch the film that they elected to have it um, as a premium VOD premiere rather than put it on at cinemas because I think that parents would have taken their kids along to see this movie. I've actually got a little bit of a question about this film in terms of as a quote-unquote kids film. Watching this film, I did have the distinct feeling like, this isn't really for kids. What's the age rating? I, w- I watched it on Disney Plus and I wasn't particularly paying attention to that because it's 12A. It's a 12A. But watching it, I was very much of the opinion... Who is this for? I mean, the action sequence, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on that later, but this doesn't have a lot in it specifically for kids. It's not like the original film, which is an animation with songs in it. This feels more like a film, a, a reimagining, remake, whatever, that's kind of for the parents, that the parents might get something out of it in terms of their relation to the original film, and maybe as a way to introduce an audience to a style of cinema that they might not be familiar with. Maybe. Um, that makes sense because, well, to be completely honest, just to get into what I thought of the film, I was underwhelmed by this movie and I'm a bit disappointed by that because one, Mulan, the 1998 animated original from Disney, as we talked about on the podcast back in March or April, was a really, really nice surprise. It was like an undiscovered gem for me in terms of, wow, so Disney have had this great movie in their vault for 22 years that I have been aware of, but I've never actually bothered watching. And this one just seemed to have a lot of things in it that really, that I thought were going to be good. I thought that it was cast very well in terms of who's in it from classic Hong Kong action cinema. Um, I thought that Nikki Caro, who's the director of Whale Rider, thought she was an interesting choice. I actually thought it was good that it was directed by a woman. Um, it's a very, very female story. Well, it's the, I think it's the, possibly, I think it's the highest budget film to ever be directed by a woman. Yeah, I think so. I think I read that as well at 200 million for the production budget. But watching Mulan today, I just, I found it dull. I thought, again, the thing that Disney live action does when they remake an animated classic, they will add half hour onto the running time, but really no more plot. So this doesn't, actually, I think this has less plot than in the animated one because it hasn't got Mushu, the dragon who kind of represents or is the stand in for the ancestors that can't join her on her quest. It has a phoenix that kind of follows her around, but the phoenix doesn't have a voice and isn't as much of a character as Mushu. It- well, a phoenix, a phoenix that's just a plot device. Just it's kind of there whenever the story requires it to be. Well, they're just to remind you that she's pretending to be a boy. So basically, this is in ancient China, the, the Roran nomad tribe are 
um, attempting to overthrow the imperial city and uh, the emperor decrees that one man from every family has to join the army so the country can defend itself against the invading hordes. But Mulan comes from a family where her dad has no son, so she sneaks off to join the army instead because she is a very, very good warrior. She has good chi, which in this film is basically treated like Star Wars is the force. So she is kind of naturally physically gifted and has the warrior spirit but of course she can't ever be a warrior because this is ancient china very very patriarchal and only men can be warriors and women have to know their place they are basically have to be very very subservient they have to be prim and proper and they're wives basically wives and mothers so she is breaking out of the societal norms it's a very similar to what is in the animated one but it just hasn't got the charm and i thought it hadn't got the pace thought it was a really erratically paced movie to be completely honest, I thought it was, again, one of these things where it's like, you need to get directors who understand action cinema if they're going to make an action film. This thing about getting interesting indie directors to helm an action film just means you give all the really, really big scenes and set pieces to the second unit director. And the second unit director here is a guy called John Mahaffey, who is really quite prominently billed at the end i think because he would have shot a lot of this and he he seemed to be the go-to second unit director for marvel so he did the avengers movies he did it seems a lot of the big marvel movies so you can kind of see why they got him in because he knows his stuff but i thought that the action was impersonal i didn't think it was exciting and i actually thought it was really hard to follow one of the great things about hong kong action cinema is that it always defines space and you can always see how these things are happening within the space that oftentimes it's all done in one shot which is why jackie chan will take so long to make a film because he wants you to see that this is all happening in real time. Here, though, it was like it was chopping around, it was crossing the line, so characters were going from left to right and then from right to left. You couldn't understand the space properly. Yeah, that's one thing I definitely caught. It does feel a little bit, going back to what I said about it, it feels a bit like baby's first Hong Kong action cinema. It does, yeah. I know it just lifts from a lot of different things. It just seems to be a hodgepodge of lots of different things. But the thing that it really, I think, stumbles on is the action. And it's like, well, you've got Jet Li, you've got... Donnie Yen, these guys have made some of the the best action movers of all time. Here, you just don't know how to properly utilise their talents. I thought that some of the action was kind of diverting, but there was never a point where I had a big smile on my face and thought, yeah, here we go. I mean, yeah, not even the bit with the avalanche, which in the original animated version is an impressive set piece. Here, I just didn't think it was. I remember a shot during the original animated version, which has Mulan riding towards well they're in there they're just given as the mongols but in obviously in this one they're kind of properly contextualized as being the rurans where you get this this proper shot that positions her on the landscape riding towards this horde and you just don't get anything of that scope here this film is two hours well just under two hours long yeah compared to the original i think this one fares better than something like Lady and the Tramp, because it's got a more muscular story, a more action-driven story to support it. But it just, again, feels like bloat. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things, because I have to admit, I have steered clear of pretty much all the Disney live-action remakes. The only one that I've seen is Aladdin, and that's because you forced us all to watch it for your birthday. Watching this reminded me of the one that, the one that I've seen that is genuinely great, which is Pete's Dragon. Okay, it's, yeah, that's one that I always forget exists. That's by an interesting indie director as well, isn't it? It's by the guy who did... Yeah, it's by David Lowry. 
Yeah, who did Ain't Them Bodies Saints and A Ghost Story, was it called? Yeah, he's great. And it's a really wonderful film. It essentially feels like a Disney film if they just said, yeah, fuck it, we'll give it to Terrence Malick. Like good Terrence Malick. Yeah, yeah, because that is not necessarily a good thing. That could be the worst thing ever, Rob. But um, okay, right. So uh, twirling, thin red line. twirling, endless twirling. <laughs> so this is thin red line Malick rather than to the wonder Malick. Okay, fair enough. Have you seen Cinderella? I hear that's a good one. Uh, Cinderella is better than average. Well, this is better than average as well, I think. it's. Uh... Yeah, I thought Mulan was. It kind of got a pass for being just better than average. There was at no point I was watching it thinking, what the fuck is going on here? Why is this happening now? The worst thing I think you can say about Mulan is it's just competent. Mm. There, But there's no reason to watch it beyond... The point where I was happiest was when the film's score, which I think is by Harry Gregson Williams, yeah. actually recalled the original film. Like, you know, when she meets the matchmaker and it essentially just full on does the you'll bring honour to us all as an instrumental. And it's like, yeah, that's a great song. That was really, really good in the original. And this is a shadow of it. And they're not doing the songs in this one. And why again? Oh, because this is a serious action, like sort of, you know, serious period Hong Kong action movie. That, that And it's just like, you you understand that music does not mean not taking something seriously. So that's a really good point because I did like that. And also um, the matchmaker in this is played by Cheng Peipei, who is just one of the icons of Taiwanese and Hong Kong action cinema. She's in Come Drink With Me. I think I talked about it on the animated Mulan episode, which is a real template movie for like a lot of action cinema afterwards. It's one of the ones that Ang Lee, I think, went to for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, directed by a master director called King Hu. And it was good to see her in there, but it kind of did what I was hoping it wouldn't do. It got these really, really big names and then didn't do a lot with them in the roles. I mean, Gong Li, I think, is good. And I thought that her character was the most interesting because she is basically the shadow character to Mulan. She is a witch who also wants to be accepted in this world in this very, very male world, but isn't. So she's kind of gone dark and she's um, gone over to black magic, basically. But there are parallels between her and Mulan. That's all invented for this film, isn't it? That's not in the actual animated original. So that was good. But I thought, yeah, the cast, like, Jet Li plays the Emperor. And Jet Li, I don't think, actually can do the action stuff anymore. He has, um, or he had hypothyroidism which basically meant that his heart was beating at 140 beats a minute even when resting and it just wore him out actually there was a time when he looked really really shockingly ill apparently he hasn't got it anymore but i don't think he's up for the action but he's dubbed as well and he's obviously noticeably dubbed i think well hopefully he's still dubbed by a chinese actor i think he is but it's just weird to see that voice come out of Jet Li's mouth. It doesn't fit. And I thought, okay, so you've got Jet Li in here, I think, just for the name more than for what you're going to do with him. And kind of the same for Donnie Yen, although yeah, Donnie Yen does have a couple of action scenes. But yeah, so you're right. I think it is competent enough. I think the action isn't particularly competent, but there's a lot going on in it. So it's kind of arresting sometimes. This was meant to be directed by, well, I think Disney first considered Ang Lee to do it. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, and it would have been, to be honest, I think it would have been more interesting if he'd done it because one of the great things about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is that it is about a girl who wants to break out of the role that she's been given by society. So Ang Lee said, well, the action scenes work on two different levels. One, you have just how good the wire work is, the Yuan Wu Ping wire work. He's the guy who also did The Matrix. But also... 
there's a subtext there that the Michelle Yeoh character and the Chow Yun-fat character are always trying to pull her back down to earth and she's trying to escape them and fly. And it's like, well, that there's nothing like that in Mulan. And I really thought there would. I thought that, you know, the Nikki Cara, I thought would have done a bit more research, but it just seems as if there was a real sense of will that doism about this one. I have to admit, I was slightly disappointed. That's the, that's the thing, you know, watching the action sequences in this, I thought, as you say, maybe a slight sense of that will do. And I was really looking forward to hearing your opinion because you're so much better versed in Hong Kong action cinema and just Asian cinema in general. That I, you know, I was like, am I missing something? Is this, you know, resonating in a way that I'm not able to appreciate? And uh, yeah, equally, you know, it's, it's very interesting to hear you say that it's not. But also, I, as a, a definitely more casual watcher of this than you than you were, you know, I, if I wasn't picking up any of that, then that's a suggestion that the average viewer probably won't be. It's, I'm not going to say disappointed because, you know, it, it's all right. It's a decent film, but it just feels like this was a chance to really kind of bust open the, it's like the animated version, only we maybe don't sing and we're taking away any of the or any of the kind of economy of screenplay which is you know something i i moaned about incessantly in the uh, in the previous mulan podcast where we talk about the lady and the tramp um yeah it's just i still think they these are they're yet to prove themselves apart from pete's dragon anything other than cash grabs absolutely i was thinking that and i thought this i would just like you i thought this one would be the same i thought this one would be one where they would say this is a film that deserves to be live action because there have been live action versions of mulan before there was one in 2008 which is good i mean it's not the most amazing film but it's better than this one it's actually quite hard-edged it's a 15 i think i remember watching that one and thinking oh that was a good story i must watch the disney version see what they do with that and then i think about 12 years later i did um but to your point as well about the music i thought and maybe they did and I just didn't recognise it, but I don't think they did. When you have the montage in this scene, you know, the training montage, where they're all learning how to become great soldiers, I thought, why is the score here not a reworking of Let's Get Down to Business? Because you could have reworked because, that to make... It's because, because, nothing runs, because nothing rhymes with Roran. Hun is a very easy rhyme. Roran is not an easy rhyme. But I wasn't thinking of it in terms of having lyrics, yeah. but just in terms of having the rearranged score. But yeah, you're right, it roaring is. <laughs> that's a tough one, that, isn't it? Scoring? No. But yeah, I thought that was such an easy win that they just chose not to do, because that is my favourite song from the film. They do have reflections. There is a re-recording of that at the end of this film, isn't there? Which is also the song that closes the original Mulan. I did like the part, and, and, and I don't. this isn't really a spoiler, because I think it might, it might even be in the trailer where Mulan is running around on the battlefield with her hair down, being very obviously a woman. And I do like the thought of everybody just being like, who the fuck is this? Well, I thought they were going <laughs> to do that. I thought there was going to be a point where they were going to have that confusion. But again, it seemed to be that they missed a lot of opportunities that were all there in the original Disney movie, particularly around when they're training and they kind of almost completely remove the love interest from this one which I read because it's Lee Shang, isn't it, in the original, who is her captain. And I read that they changed that. There's kind of a love interest in this, but it's very, very downplayed. But I read that they changed it to be Hong Hui in this, who's played by An Yosong. He's a soldier like her because they didn't want to have a Me Too thing where a superior was having a relationship with a female inferior on the like yeah, on the hierarchy. And I thought, well, that's never really occurred to me that was a problem in the original. I don't think it would be a problem now. Uh, I just like, like the a, fact yeah. that actually that the main backlash is that because Shang has become a bit of an LGBT icon. 
Oh, right, has he? Has you, you know no, this, right? Know they, yeah, because they, they kind of read, there's a reading of Shang. He, he has a romantic relationship with Mulan and the alter ego with her when she's Ping, going by Ping. Oh, yes. Um, and the fact that That's it's a bit like the Babadook. It's one of those things where it's like, I didn't see that, but now that you've explicitly spelled it out, then I'm going to say it's a, it's a hard maybe from me. So... <laughs> That's one that Disney or that the animators snuck under the wire in the original one. I did like the scenes actually when she rides into battle as Mulan and her hair's flying. And of course, she's wearing red, which is the Chinese colour for power. And actually that bit when she rides into battle as Mulan, I thought, yeah, this is when it's finally getting going. There were a couple of shots actually early on that really got me excited for something I thought that the film's going to be that ultimately it wasn't. When the Gong Li character, Zhan Niang, the witch, meets that guy on the road, the travelling peddler and then merges with his shadow. So her shadow merges with his shadow as she possesses him. I thought, oh, that's really good. That's a really, really good way of telling that story event. And I thought I was going to be in for a real treat visually, which tells me it didn't happen. There's another scene when Bori Khan, so he's the big baddie, who is analog to, what's he called? Shan Yu. So Shan Yu from the original film is the big baddie. So Bori Khan is played by Jason Scott Lee, who played Bruce Lee in Dragon the Bruce Lee Story. He's a very accomplished martial artist as well. When he's riding into battle to charge the garrison with his men on horseback, his scarf kind of whips off his face and he rides into close-up of the frame. And it just really, really reminded me of how an animated movie would do that. And I thought, yeah, you kind of understand what you're doing here. And there's a Seen with a matchmaker when all the teacups go flying and Mulan catches them. But the pose she strikes, again, I thought was very, very animated. It's like the kind of thing you get in an animated movie. So early on, I had real high hopes for this. And then about 20 minutes in, it seemed to stop doing that sort of thing and just get on with telling the story in a not very interesting way. But if you want to cast a kindly dad in a Chinese movie, you have to go for Zima, don't you? Who can do stern and kind very well. Yeah, it's just a bit of a shame that this wasn't as good as it could have been. I watched it, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not enjoying this. It's just not giving me anything new or particularly exciting. Yeah, yeah, I would completely and agree as with you, that. As you say, as you say, Zima is great. You know, I last saw him, I think the last thing he did was The Farewell. Yeah. The uh, Lula Wang film from last year with, uh, with Aquafina. And yeah, that's the thing that's like, there are actors in this I like, and there are some moments in that I think are quite good, but it's just half an hour longer than the original film and what it's added doesn't make up for what it's removed and one thing actually that really kind of bothered me watching this film was that it's uncomplicatedly pro-government in a way pro-china yeah pro-china in a way that i think will go down very very well with the chinese government right now but when you're watching this film it's like i'm sorry but mulan is uncritically siding with the government here and yes it's a film about ancient china but then again you are telling a film about ancient china and giving it a very very feminist spin so that's not to say you couldn't well, add some doubt into her luckily nobody involved with the film has recently uncritically sided with the chinese government well that's the thing isn't it because what is in the film seems to be well has actually happened uh, so yifei lu who plays mulan came out in support of the police against the protesters in Hong Kong and there's our boycott there's an online petition to boycott the film because of that and Donnie Yen has also said things about Hong Kong should stop the protests and stuff like that which is very very disappointing because I love Donnie Yen I've always loved his stuff but yeah so it seems as if Mulan in this film has uh, or yeah, the actress playing Mulan in this film is doing a Mulan and is uncritically siding with the government 
And I was thinking about it, thinking, is it, am I just being very, very simplistic here? Because, of course, the Chinese government is a very oppressive government. They have a huge amount of power. If you come out against them, your career is basically over. And I don't think that Yifei Lu is absolutely guaranteed a good Western career. So is, is it one of those things where she felt pressure? But I don't know, looking into it, it seems as if she did say it in a way that seemed to be understanding that it would be goading people. And she seemed to be fine with that. So it will be interesting to see if the backlash against this seems to affect the box office. But of course, there is no box office, so the rentals, I don't know, we'll see. But I don't know, when watching it, I thought, well, they're all around, there aren't that many of them. You never see a huge amount of them. So I just think it's one of these things where a huge government just seems to be crushing this little minority group. And they are presented as fierce warriors, but it didn't sit right in this one. And their complaint is kind of suggested as being pretty legitimate. Go on, what is it? Well, it's just kind of the idea that they've they basically had their lands taken from them and the reason that they're nomads is they were essentially deposed. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's like... it's what- The film kind of mentions that, but then obviously goes like, oh, but of course these guys are the baddies and we will never mention, we will never do anything with this and the Chinese, go China. And it was one of those things, yeah, where they were coded as the baddies because Jason Scott Lee has a scarred face and it's like, can we stop doing scarred face equals bad now? Because... It's lazy yeah, because the new Bond does it as well. It's Rami Malek seems to have a scarred face there as well. And it's like, I just think that we need to move away from scarred face equals bad. Because here, yeah, to your point, it's like, well, I think they've got a legitimate grievance. And the Imperial City, which is actually a very, very good CGI map painting. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't think that the government's going to have much trouble putting down this little minority group. And again, just to go back to the classic action cinema of Hong Kong the hero would always be kind of separate from what they were fighting for. There'd always be a suggestion of ambivalence as to whether they're actually on the right side. Uh, well, yeah, I say always. In a lot of the great films there is. So if you watch Once Upon a Time in China 2, Donnie Yen plays a government official, but is actually quite an oppressive and bad character. And if you watch any of the films like The 36 Chambers of Shaolin, which you should do because they are just absolute ballets of action in terms of the choreography, the... Well, the Shaolin Temple and uh, the Shaolin monks had to practice Kung Fu in secret because the government didn't want them knowing how to fight and how to defend themselves. So there's a tradition in Hong Kong action cinema of not really being for the government. I mean, that's the thing. If, if, if you want to get a bunch of badass monks, that's how you get a bunch of badass monks, is that you basically like they're already training for martial arts and then you forbid them from doing it. How do you think this is going to end, guys? Yes, I just think that these monks are going to whip some arse at the end. And uh, heavens they do. Yeah, so the 36 Chambers of Shaolin and Return to the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. I strongly recommend you watch those. I actually think they're on Amazon Prime, dubbed into English, which is a shame, but they're still well worth a look because they are just so well made. And once upon a time in China, I think there's a Blu-ray set of that out. And the first three movies, parts four, five and six are good, but the first three movies are just absolutely fantastic. And Jet Li is brilliant in that. And once upon a time in China 2 is a rare case of a sequel being as good as the original. So yeah, so I don't know, there's all these stuff and it's like, and maybe if I hadn't come to it having watched so much of this stuff before i might have liked it a bit more and it might go down better with audiences if it acts as a primer for people to look into this sort of cinema more then that would be good but on its own i thought it was a missed opportunity there was one point that made me smile though with um i shan't spoil it but there is an esteemed guest who appears at the end and introduces mulan in a big court 
which is which is quite sweet which 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 i like yeah. which i was like oh that's and that's the thing all the parts that i liked the most in this film were just references to the original film yeah that's i mean i did like the bit with the shadow at the beginning i did like the shot when the scarf whips off his face when he's on horseback as i said and then i think there was a big gap until that end scene and then you see that cameo and that did make me smile well there's a bit with um in the avalanche scene, or in the scene that's near the mountains, when the Roran warriors are on horseback and they basically flip round so they can face backwards and fire arrows. Those moments were great, but I thought, why is this not being given more screen time? Why are we not having a whole action scene where this is happening? Because it's just seemed, again, like a throwaway, and it's like, well, that's clearly a for-real horse stunt that that stuntman's done. I just want to see more of that sort of stuff. Did you think it was interesting the way that they slightly reworked the avalanche so there's less accusation of Mulan being a mass murderer in this one? Oh, yeah. They brought (laughs) it on themselves. Yeah, it was one of those where I thought, it's interesting that you've done that because in the original Mulan, it's like, well, this is a battle scene. They are fighting for their lives, so she has made that decision. And it's, it's a tough decision, but she's made it because she is this great warrior. I thought it worked enough here that I didn't think they were basically um, spoiling it or betraying the character. But I did think it's interesting that they made that decision to soften her a little bit. And I did miss the songs. I thought the songs were really good in the original. And it's interesting because a lot of Hong Kong action cinema, the actors to Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung and Yuen Biu and others were trained for the Peking Opera. So there is like a real musicality to these movies. They know how to move as if they're dancing. And a lot of these movies are almost entirely set to scores. There's a film called The East is Red with the wonderful Bridget Lin, who's again one of the great actresses from Hong Kong cinema. Anyway, The East is Red. There's almost no screen time that doesn't have music behind it. It is a musical to all intents and purposes. So it seemed, I don't know, it just seemed a bit like they could have made this a musical, but they chose not to because they wanted to go for a grittier edge. And I think they lost something by making that decision. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. So yeah, so we'll see what the next Disney live action is. Have they announced it? I don't, I don't know, have they? Um, I think it's Pinocchio. Ah, well that's interesting because there's been a recent version of Pinocchio directed by Matteo Garone, isn't there? With Roberto Benigni playing Geppetto. And apparently that's great. It's in Italian, but apparently it's absolutely fantastic. So it will be interesting to see what Disney do. See, I don't think they should touch Pinocchio because Pinocchio can't be done the way that Pinocchio has to be done because it's very important that the young boys who turn into donkeys smoke. In the original Disney one, they're all smoking and playing pool, I think, and stuff like that. But it's like, well, they probably won't be smoking in this one. And I don't know. And also, so you've seen Pinocchio, the original Disney film. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch it when you... I've been trying to figure out what the next adaptation should be. Like, you know, what I think would actually be interesting from a a dramatic or creative standpoint. Well, Pinocchio, I think, has a lot of potential, but I just don't think that Disney would be able to do it justice now. Because the thing about Pinocchio, and it still has an impact now, but when I was a kid, there was just a feverish nightmare quality to that. Everything about the film, it was this thing where he gets lost, he... He's separated from his kindly dad. He goes, he falls in with the wrong crowd. He turns into a donkey. That scene when he, when he starts turning into a donkey and the others are turned into donkeys and they're all braying with terror. There's just such a feverish tone to it. And the whale at the end, it was like, they were going to get, they got, they were going to get sent to the salt mines. Yeah. I used to find Monstro terrifying. 
Mm, that's right. It's like, that's the thing is that it's Pinocchio is a terrifying movie, but it's terrifying in that wonderful way of introducing kids to certain concepts around fear and like, yeah, separation, stuff like that. I just think it works really well. I don't think they would do it to have that impact now. I think it would be so softened. It just wouldn't be the story. So I don't know. What ones are there? I know, actually, I know, I know that they've been talking about Hercules and that at yeah. least could be. Well, I heard that Pocahontas might be on the cards as well. I mean, that would be interesting to see how they would handle that. I think they could do. But the thing is, to quote the wise words of Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, just because you can do it doesn't mean to say you should. <laughs> you should do it. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum would be my pick, probably my pick, to play uh, Hades in Hercules. Yeah, it'd be a good one. He would, yeah, particularly after Thor Ragnarok, and he was one of the few good things in that film. Yeah, I've said all I need to say about Mulan. Do you have anything to say about it? I think that does it for me on Mulan. I just very quickly wanted to mention a different film that I, th- I alluded to at the very start, which is now available on Netflix. Uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is the new Charlie Kaufman film. Which I haven't seen yet, so over to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just touch on it very, very quickly. Uh, it stars Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons. <laughs> um, uh, sort of a couple they're going to visit his parents for the first time and yeah it's just it seems very simple to start with a couple in a car journey this but it becomes this really interesting rumination on expectation and disappointment i mean it's charlie kaufman and actually as a concept it probably seems it seems like initially like probably the simplest thing that he's done you know for a guy whose first film involved literally jumping into a revered character actor's head before being dumped on the new jersey turnpike and whose most recent film, um, Anomalisa, was stop motion. Um, but yeah, it's just a from, was for me a really interesting. I mean, it's two and a half, almost two and a half hours long, wow. which when I first saw was like wow. But it builds really nicely. It's really odd and unsettling. And yeah, I just I think it's well worth a look. Then again, you know, I am one of those people who's neurotic. neurotic solipsistic i am kind of fairly susceptible to charlie kaufman's particular brand of oh aren't we all alone or we're going to die alone so (laughs) and also the film of course in which the characters go into a revered character actor's head and then dumped onto the new jersey turnpike is being oh sorry it is being john malkovich yeah. Um, <laughs> is Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Yeah. yeah, I saw, so very quickly, and I don't go to Twitter for my insightful film commentary, but I was amazed at just how strong the sentiment was on Twitter this morning of how difficult to follow a lot, well, seemingly everyone had found that film. It seemed to be tenant levels of confusion. Would you agree with that, or would you say that it's actually worth a journey? I think it's worth the journey, if only because it's not premised on logic, like uh, quote unquote logic, like Tenet is. Right. I found there's there's actually a pretty, what I'd say is for me a pretty standard reading of it, like a pretty obvious reading of it in terms of what's going on. That I kind of finished the film and went, is this like an, is this a thing of other people? And I looked it up and it's like, yeah, apparently, uh, according to the book, which uh, was by uh, Ian Reid. That is pretty much the reading of it. There's stuff in the book that I don't think quite translates into the film, but there is like a, as I say, a reading of it that I do think is actually fairly, I'm not going to say it's clear or obvious, but it does definitely lend itself towards that. It's satisfying. Yeah, that I found satisfying. It's very much of, uh, it's kind of there with Synoptic in New York for me. Well, okay, that's, yeah, because that is a film that I found by turns fascinating and frustrating, but 
overall. Just really, really happy that that had been produced and thought it was really good. So um, I will give this one a go then. That is a long run time, but I will give it a go. Yeah, it, it went by pretty quickly considering. Yeah, so for me, Mulan was a, okay, this exists. And I'm thinking of ending things was, I can understand how this could be mystifying, but I am glad this exists. Cool. Okay, then. Cool. Well, I will say ZJ, which I think is me murdering Thank You in Mandarin. And yes, our next episode will be our 100th episode. So we will have to think about what we're going to talk about for that. Yes. And I'll just say uh, Malkovich, 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 which I believe (laughs) is, uh, yeah, have a lovely evening in Malkovich. Yes, of course it is. Yes. And I will say Mulan, 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 Mulan the 1998 version. Cool. Uh, Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening.